Well, that's that's usually how it goes, JP. Spends most of his time editing my stuff out. But uh, welcome to the Biz Dojo, uh, Anthony. Thanks so much for joining us. Just off the top here, uh, trying something a little new, JP, and I'm going to totally mess this up. But uh, this episode, like all of the other episodes this season, is brought to you by Beyond a Beaten Path. Uh, Beyond a Beaten Path is a laser engraving. Uh, company and uh, they can help you personalize pretty much anything you can think of um, because everything else is boring. So you got to go to them beyondabeatenpath.ca and they've actually put together for us some really cool Yeti style custom tumblers. And uh, we have a little bit of a, a contest going on this week. I don't know if it's contest, just uh, we want to give them away. So uh, the first five people to send us a DM, a text, a pigeon carrier, uh, any kind of transmission over to us and let us know something that inspired you uh, from an episode of the Biz Dojo. Uh, we're going to hook you up with uh, this really cool custom uh, Yeti style tumbler. If you send a carrier pigeon, you're getting two mugs. That's the deal. You might get two. Yep. Yes, we'll true. send them back with the pigeon. <laughs> I want to <laughs> see him fly them back. Yeah. Did you do any, uh, did you ever have any pigeon carrying uh, experience in your time in the military special ops there, Anthony? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they have much better technology available. Well, some, sometimes the best tech, though, is old tech. Is, is the low tech. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's no tech like the low tech sometimes. Just depends what you're doing. Ain't nobody scanning AM radio stations anymore. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll dive into it. So today we have a very uh, special guest. Anthony Randall. So Anthony, thank you so much. I, I know I uh, texted you sort of last minute. We hadn't talked in a while. We uh, we we met through our friends Maslow uh, Coaching. Uh, JP and I have both uh, taken taken the courses through them, and and we've uh, collabed with them on their podcast. Um, but yeah, we actually met this summer, and we ended up taking in a uh, Vancouver Canadians game. You're a big baseball guy. Yeah. And uh, on on my birthday there on uh, Wednesday. I was sitting in uh, in Phoenix taking in an LA Angels game, and I thought, you know who would like this? My friend Anthony. So I texted you, and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, it was great, Seth. It's an honor to be with you guys. You're doing great stuff. Congratulations on the award that you guys got in Vegas this weekend. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. JP, uh, JP is really good at writing nominations, I will say. He's, uh, <laughs> he's offering his services for hire. <laughs> Um, so I, I know you wear a lot of hats, sir. You know, you, you have your own coaching company, your father, husband, uh, you've got this really amazing and interesting background, uh, but maybe for the folks listening at home, just a little bit of an introduction of yourself. Uh, sure. So, uh, you try to do like a 90 second intro or whatever. So Anthony Randall grew up in Colorado. So enjoy my time up in Canada with you guys. Cause I enjoy the mountains, enjoy being out in the fresh air and, and whatnot. And uh, now I live in Southern Georgia, so live out in the country out here. So enjoy that aspect very much. Grew up in Colorado, <clears throat> went to the United States Military Academy at West Point and uh, graduated there in 1996. Uh, most people graduate like Magma Cum Laude and, and Sigma Cum Laude. Uh, I graduated, thank Lordy, he's Ghani. So not exactly the best <laughs> academic unit. Yeah, so uh, went and started my Army career, uh, had the opportunity to go through the uh, all the Army Airborne schools and Air Assault schools and Army Ranger school. And, and so after uh, becoming an Army Ranger, got to go to the 82nd Airborne Division and was a, an engineer officer in the 82nd Airborne Division. Basically jumped out of airplanes and, and blew stuff up and built airfields and had a great time. At my five-year commitment, when it was up, uh, I decided to get out of the military, transition out. I had uh, 
got a couple injuries that had prevented me from uh, pursuing a course in, in special forces. And, and so I decided to get out of the Army, spent two years in the corporate world uh, and was doing very well in the corporate world, doing uh, pharmaceutical sales and territory management. And out of the blue, I literally had a dream. And uh, my wife had kind of the same dream and the voice from on high say, you're going to go into ministry, something I'd never planned on doing ever. And uh, basically got called into ministry and uh, we sold everything we owned, went back to Colorado, went to seminary, pastored at church. Three years later, came back onto active duty after finishing seminary and uh, into the army as an army chaplain. And so I did my last 15 years in the U.S. Army as a chaplain or a padre, as they call them in, uh, in the Canadian forces there up, up north. And uh, loved it and had the opportunity to go back into not just the conventional community, but also the special operations community, serving with some very elite uh, special operations units, and then had the privilege to come back and uh, be the chaplain at the ranger school and work with ranger students and instructors, and then had the privilege to get into uh, get another master's degree in ethics and philosophy and be the ethics instructor here at Fort Benning, where we train about 69,000 soldiers a year. So over three years, I had the opportunity to personally teach about 10,000, 12,000 officers and non-commissioned officers, ethics and leadership. And that's where I really started getting into ethics and coaching and leader development. 2013 was asked to come start doing leadership coaching and chaplaincy in Major League Baseball. Had the privilege to work there for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates for eight seasons. And I uh, really started enjoying that. Got into some Division One basketball with Gonzaga and Baylor men's basketball and their national championship runs. And that's where I really started getting a passion for, you know, coaching coaches and leading leaders. So if I calculate out all that experience, Anthony, you either don't sleep or you're 265 years old. That's that's what I've learned based on everything that you have done. That's an, that's an in, incredible list. Uh, my body feels like 265 years old because uh, I still get into dojo three <laughs> days a week. So I, I did see that too in your uh, in, in your resume that you've got multiple belts in different disciplines. Yeah, it's it's been a blessing. Martial arts has uh, really shaped really shaped my mindset and, and who I am over the last thirty years. So, uh, and then all my kids train in martial arts and and all wrestle. So it really is a, a major part of my life. Matter of fact, when I'm done with you guys today, I'm going to go get my my lunch roll in. That's fantastic. I liked what you said there too, uh, and just expanding on that when you kind of noted that it shaped your mindset. And I think like uh, that's obviously a big theme with uh, both Seth and JP uh, and the Biz Dojo and and kind of that mindset leadership. But can you maybe just touch on with your experience with you have all kinds of individuals uh, at varying levels and different parts of their life, and and a big part of coaching is is kind of allowing a person's no matter their experience or uh, personality or that type to be able to flourish at a real high level by getting their mindset in a right, in the right place. And, and, and just kind of, I'd be curious on how, you know, for yourself in your own experience, um, how that impacted the, the road that you went down. Yeah. Well, I think two things there, I think one faith and spirituality and, and the second is martial arts. And so with my faith and, and background and, and, and the, the spiritual aspect of who I am. I believe that everyone has the right to flourish. I think everyone was created to flourish. And, and when I think when you look at uh, coaching and leader development, when you're working with individuals or teams, when you see beauty inside of every individual and when you see the potential that is there, not just capital, uh, how many of you guys have felt like you've just 
worked for someone before that squeezed every bit of capital out of you. You know, you're the leftover lemon rind at the side afterwards and they got every bit of juice out of you, right? I think I think leadership is all about uh, human potential, and so so I think say I'd say I'd say one Sean, it's human flourishing that everyone was created uh, with the opportunity to pursue excellence, and then when it comes from the martial arts side of it, I think growth mindset, right? And we talk a lot about growth mindset in mental conditioning and sports psychology, but really it's about having that white belt mentality. And, and this weekend, you know, had the privilege to train with the Army Judo team at West Point. And there's the same photo in there that's been there 30 years ago when I was a cadet training, uh, training in that dojo with Sensei Reno. He's 86 years old today, and he's still on the mat four days a week. So, you know, I hope that when I'm 86, I can still do judo like, like he does. And he's still in there throwing cadets and, you know, getting in the mix. And Sensei Kano, uh, was the father of modern day martial arts. He was the father of, of judo and, and a lot of things came out of that. And, you know, there's a story that on his deathbed, you know, his, his students and his family asked him, you know, what's, what, what's your last request? And he said, I have one, I want you to bury me in my white belt. And, and, uh, they were like, why would you sensei Kano want to be buried in your white belt? And he said, I came into this world as a learner. I want to leave this world as a learner. And so I think it's, having that white belt mentality that, that allows all of us to flourish. Love that. The white belt mentality, beginner's mindset. How, how has that approach helped you in, in this latest venture? You've had a lot of ventures in your life, but in terms of starting the coaching business and, and kind of going all in on that, how has that uh, white belt mentality kind of helped you on that journey? Yeah, for me, it's just the opportunity to be humble. And, and again, humility is an aspect of the martial arts. It's an, as, it's an aspect of a Christian faith. Just to ask questions and, and, and just ask and find out and recognize that you just don't know everything. And so when you talk about Maslow leadership, Tim has become a great friend of mine over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, he and I have had the opportunity to collaborate and work together on things. And, uh, you know, I ask him a lot of business questions and, and I, we tease all the time, you know, how I think you're about 12 months here versus me and, and versus there. And, and so, you know, we just try to help each other through that process. And then I have some other friends that have been very successful uh, in, in different industries where, matter of fact, I've got to follow up with one of them this week and, and just say, hey, you know, I'm doing some scaling and some, some business development right now. You've already gone through that. You know, what, what do I need to do? What am I not thinking about? What, what parameters am I not seeing correctly? So I think it's just having humility to just admit that you don't know what you don't know and to learn from, from everyone. So um, a couple of the guys that I've had the privilege to bring on board this year incredible backgrounds, incredible experience, and just be able to say, hey, what do you guys think, you know, uh, and empower them that they're part of this team as well. I think a lot of people, when they think about coaches, think it's somebody who knows everything and will help direct you. But when you're actually in there as a, and I will say as an effective coach, because there are lots of people who claim to be coaches and maybe don't do this. Um, but if you go through the courses and you understand how coaching actually works, you learn that you're probably spending just as much time learning as you are helping others because you're really just stepping back to see a bigger picture. And I mean, the coaching conversations I've had, I'm hopeful that the person has taken away half of what I've learned from them. Yeah, JP, I think you're right. I mean, we have an opportunity every day to learn from people. And yeah, much like your coaching businesses. I mean, I'm in industries that I have, I, I have very little experience in that actual industry technically. But at the end of the day, what, what they're asking me to help them coach on is leadership. And leadership's leadership. Doesn't matter what industry it's in, 
leadership is influence and leadership is leadership. So, <laughs> yeah. One thing I find fascinating is uh, with just with all the high performing uh, personalities and things like that, that you've coached with and coached through. And especially like if you think about made, uh, like MLB sports and even like the, the high echelon um, military that you've worked with from an outsiding point of view, the biggest challenge, and, and, and this is common amongst all professional sports, the biggest challenge that you know you see from the outside is managing people's individual egos. I think when you talk about leadership and mindset, how have you been able to, because obviously, you know, with the amount of experience that you've had, you've seen it, you've lived it, you've been part of that. But how is it, uh, how has been your experience in navigating humility versus ego and kind of coaching that process of kind of where the team is greater than the individual or the goal is greater than the individual? Because that, that's a very powerful place to live. That's a good question, Sean. Uh... One, again, I think it's as a coach checking your ego at the door and recognizing that that you are in somebody else's house, right? So uh, when I'm coaching, whether it's corporate clients or government clients or with a professional sports team or whatever it is, um, recognizing that you've been, you've been invited into their space and their place. And so it's learning just not only the written rules, but also the unwritten rules of how a locker room works or how a club group clubhouse works or how in special operations, how a team room works. So I think that's number one. I think number two is the importance of self-awareness and understanding yourself, right? Just kind of the way I'm wired, <laughs> you know, whether it's doing martial arts for 30 years or having the privilege to be an army ranger and, you know, do all the things that I've done and then also be a pastor. I, I know when I can gut check somebody and, and square somebody up. And I also know when I need to use more grace and more more empathy, right? And so one of my mentor coaches, my PCC mentor coach, uh, her name's Kim. She's a phenomenal leader. She always talks about how empathy isn't something you flip on or flip off. This isn't something you have or don't have. It's like a dimmer switch on a light and you need to know how to move it up and down. And I think that's how you navigate egos and personalities. Sometimes the best ways that I've broken through people's facades and imposter syndromes and, and personalities is I just I check them up, man. I mean, Seth, being a hockey guy, right? I mean, I, I will straight up check some people into the boards and they're kind of like, who is this guy? Right. But it, it breaks down that facade and, and then we can get to the real, the real matters of the heart, right? We get to the real issues. And, and, and there's some folks that they don't have anybody that challenges them like that. And, and then there's other folks that, of course, you have to use a different technique and be a little bit more empathetic and a little more graceful. But one last thing I'll say on that is, you know, understanding the environment that you're in. Clint Hurdle, who was our manager for the Pirates for so many years, phenomenal leader, just an incredible, incredible leader of people and organizations. Uh, something always will stick with me that he said. He said, there are two kind of people in the world. One, one kind of person, they always have to say something. The other one, they know when they have something to say. I think that just expanding on that too, like with your journey into your spirituality, uh, especially, you know, combine that with the martial arts that has to help, you know, with managing your own emotions and kind of managing your own emotional intelligence and, and, and being able to manage and kind of slow your central nervous system down to be able to, to listen more than react. And I think that's been part of your experience too. I, I'm, I'm sure that you can probably touch on that, but those kind of all, I, it, I feel like the high performance 
and the spirituality like in combination and when they're working in synchronous become a very powerful tool that people can access and it's available to everyone. Yeah, Sean, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, how do you use, how do you use silence? I don't use it enough. We're working on it. (laughs) We're working on it for Um, sure. I think one of the things that's coming to my mind, Anthony, is just the, you know, high performance and coaching and, you know, in sports, it's, I think more, more progressive and accepted that as you get to higher levels, you know, coaching comes with it, right? Like you wouldn't expect to make it to the the top of whatever baseball, hockey, et cetera, without having coaches along the way. And, and quite often multiple coaches, um, that at any given time, when you're at those elite levels, when it comes to business though, I think at least in my experience, the perception is a lot more like you have to have a problem and then you get a coach versus, you know, and I'm just, you know, speaking from my experience and what I've, I've sort of witnessed in the corporate world versus like proactively going out there and trying to make yourself better with the help of a coach. What's, what's your sort of experience in that space and, and how do you maybe find those clients who, or, or do you, do you enjoy working with those clients who, you know, uh, want to get to that next level, but don't know how, and, and maybe have a different perception of coaching than what it is? Yeah, I think that's a responsibility for all of us in the coaching industry is, is right now as coaching is becoming more and more popular in these different marketplaces and market spaces is to help people understand that, that coaching is a growth mindset that, that great leaders uh, have great coaches. And I think right now there's some stigmas and, you know, I run into it some places you guys might as well, where the stigma is, okay, I got put on a PIP. I got put on a performance improvement plan. And so now I have a coach because I'm on a PIP. And if I don't improve, then I'm not going to get promoted or I might get let go from this job or whatever the case may be. And I, I think that's a, a, that's a closed mind mindset. And I, I think helping people understand that some of the greatest leaders and the greatest coaches out there have another coach or coaches that coach and train them, right? Um, one thing that we do in our coaching course is we help people identify who their strategic advisors are. We exercise on who do you allow to advise you and how do you um, reach out to other people as trusted advisors, and then we, we do one that's more holistic that kind of looks at the, the eight different psychosocial components of who we are as human beings. So who do we need to laugh with? Who do we need to love with? Who do we need to train with? Who do we need to discipline us? And those kind of things and help people identify those kind of folks. So I would, I would 100% agree that it's a conversation that as coaches, we need to be in that place and, and um, you know, emphasize the importance of coaching. I can think off the top of my head, you know, right now, uh, you know, had the privilege to get to know over the years, uh, a guy named Josh Bell, who plays for the Washington Nationals and played for the Pirates for years, was in the home run derby a couple of years ago. Well, you know, everybody got a, everybody knows who Josh Bell is, but not many people know who his hitting coach is. His hitting coach uh, is a guy named Jonathan, who was a phenomenal professional baseball player, got to the AAA level. Um, but John Schwind is an amazing coach. And you know, uh, he, you know, I just think about, you think about that. You think some of the greatest leaders in the world, um, you always got to wonder who helped them, who helped them get there. Right. Like everybody's heard of Billy Graham, the great evangelist, right? Who's the person that, who's the person that led Billy Graham to his faith? <laughs> right. So, and I think as we get into executives and you get into the executive level of coaching, we're so busy in our society today. One of the greatest things that I, 
emphasize to my clients is, are you carving out personal time for yourself? You know, making sure that you're not double and triple booking yourself, but, you know, people laugh at executive time, but I think the, the greater responsibilities you have as you get into leader development, the more time you need to be able to think and to process and, and, and to work, work through those things. So sometimes we need silence in our own lives. So whether it's martial arts, whether it's spiritual disciplines, there's a time for meditation, there's a time for prayer, there's a time for journaling, there's a time for contemplation. And, and I think high performance leaders that are able to play the long game and not burn out or stress out or morally ethically fail, they build that into their lifestyle approach. They have that quiet time. They have that place to meditate, to pray, to journal, to write, you know, to walk, to run, to hunt, whatever it is that puts them in a place of solitude. There's a big difference in loneliness and being alone. There's a big difference in loneliness and being alone. A lot of people during COVID the last few years experienced loneliness. And that's where we deal with a whole bunch of different kinds of mental health, behavioral health issues, and the lack of relationships. That's totally different than being alone. It's important to have times when you're alone but you're in a healthy place and I'm a huge extrovert. So, I mean, for me, I love being with people. So I, I have to learn to find my alone time. Do you ever need to learn to appreciate being alone? Have a three-year-old. <laughs> I have never appreciated my alone time more <laughs> than I have these last three years. I think where my head is going to a lot is I think in, in today's society, it can be really easy to get sucked into doing a lot. Like we always need to be doing something and it can be hard to kind of tap back into just being. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that I've, uh, well, I just spent a week in the desert tapping into. <laughs> so it's very top of mind, very fresh. Um, but we, always, I, I mean, I always feel like, you know, don't always feel like, but I, I've, I know these cycles in my life where it's like, if I'm not doing something, then I feel maybe like I'm not achieving or I'm not moving the business far, far enough ahead or I'm not being a good leader, but you have to carve out that space to just be and, and, and tap in and listen to your inner wisdom. And, and, you know, for me, a lot of the times that's going for a walk, you know, there's different things I've built into my life, uh, but there's a tremendous amount of value in being versus always do, 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 do. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's why I do jujitsu at lunch. You know, we have night classes for jujitsu and Saturday classes, but that's typically the time I'm watching my boys play baseball or wrestle or, you know, spend time with my wife or spend time as our family or whatever the case may be. I intentionally do jujitsu during lunch during the week because it breaks up my coaching appointments. So I'll do a couple coaching calls in the morning. I'll go to jujitsu for an hour and a half, and then I'll come back and I'll do some coaching calls in the afternoon. Could I squeeze in two or three more coaching calls if I didn't do that? Absolutely. But I think I'm in a better place mentally, emotionally, psychologically, whatever the case may be for my clients whether it's the morning and I know that it's coming, I'm going to get that time or whether I come back from that and I've had that time, I'm in a better place for, for clients. And I think it's more effective. I think you can actually do more with less. Well, I think lots of people try to justify things with data. Mm. And I guess to your earlier point, it's the mental wellness game is the long game. The data will come over time. You will start to see all of those improvements in your business or in your leadership or whatever the case may be as you start to give yourself that time and you start to recognize how important that space is and you see how much better you're doing. I mean, I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up is they, they can't put it into data so they can't justify it so they don't do it. Yeah, I think it's both and, right? I mean, I'm a big baseball guy and I have the privilege to, you know, 
observed the highest level of baseball for several years. There is there is a great deal of power in being able to sit and just watch a baseball game and, and, and not watch the game, but you're watching the heuristics of the players. You're watching their body language. You're watching the way they carry themselves, the whole bit, and then to line up data with that, right? And so, uh, unfortunately, I think some, you know, whether it's high school, travel ball, college ball, pros, some people use too much data. Some people don't use enough data. Some people are all about the feel of the player. Oh, he's big, strong, and fast. You know, let's put him in. Yeah, but he's got no mental game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He looks good, but he's got no mental game, right? You've seen me play. So sometimes <laughs> sometimes you can line that stuff up, right? I can sit there and look at stats, and I see a guy that, that doesn't get walked, doesn't get on base, uh, but has a high strikeout ratio. I can sit there and say, you know, that he probably could hit the ball a long way. I know this is true because because we uh, we sat together and watched a baseball game, and he made a lot of very accurate predictions, <laughs> <laughs> like the Nostradamus of batting. <laughs> I have a obviously an avid fascination with high performers, professional athletes, things like that. What, in your experience, there's a measure when you get to that high of a level where it's no longer just the want to be great. There's discipline involved, and there's self discipline. There's doing things. Uh, on days that you just don't feel like doing it. I think that's a big that's a big thing that separates the best of the best from just the average. In your experience in kind of observing high performers at that level, any any kind of tidbits or like anything that you can provide to our listeners that, you know, that gets you from good to great and and training that self-discipline? Yeah, so practice makes permanent. And and, and Seth knows that. I think he's got a copy of my book. Uh Need to send you guys a couple more copies for Sean and JP. Practice well makes done. permanent. So what you practice needs to be passionate, purposeful, and precise. The passion is 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 the why and the, and the who that's behind it, right? The, the the purpose is the the gifts and abilities and skills that you either have been given or that you develop, and the precision is is how you execute that every single day. So practice makes permanent. So make sure that what you practice is perfect, and. I saw that I, I've seen that highlighted in special operations with some of the most elite special operators in the world uh, and, and the way they go about planning, the way they go about taking care of their bodies, the way they go about, uh, you know, utilizing the different weapon systems they're skilled to use. Um, I've seen that in professional sports and college sports, and I've seen it in the marketplace for some of the top executives. And I, I think what a lot of people think is that is that growth looks like this. I practice and I have these huge gains, right? Like, like giant steps. And, and what you'll really find with high performers is that, you know, initially you may have these giant gains, but what high performers really do is it looks more like a little adjustment up, a little adjustment up, just a little adjustment up. That's what high performance looks like. You're, you're constantly tweaking the precision of what you do every single day. And that only comes from, from making sure that your practice is the right kind of practice. And so I tell people all the time, whether it's corporate executives or professional athletes or special operations folks or my kids, uh, my daughter competes on the army judo team at West Point. My, my middle, my high schooler is a, a wrestler and a baseball player. My middle school son's a football wrestler, baseball player. I'm like, listen, you want to separate yourself from everybody else. All you have to do is this much. That's it. What separates, what separates excellence from mediocrity is this much. The question is, are you willing to do this much every single day? That's the difference. 
Yeah, it's kind of that rule of compounding gains versus waiting for big gains. Yeah, absolutely. The compounding of 1% ends up being greater than just making a 20% gain over a period of time. People ask me all the time, I just talked to a guy last week who wants to write a book. He's like, hey man, how'd you write your book? I'm like, 20 minutes at a time. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I just make sure I write 20 or 30 minutes a day, right? Do I block off entire days to try to write? Yes, but the, the, the gold comes where I, I get into a place in depth somewhere and man, you just, you just power through 15 or 20 minutes and it's just really good stuff. And then you got to step away from it, you know, and then, and then come back in and re-engage this much. That's the difference. That's the hard routine. I traveled all weekend, got in, you know, yesterday or was up late last night, but I still got up this morning, got a CrossFit workout in. Now I'm going to go to do jujitsu. I mean, I'm, I'll be 49 years old next month, but I've, I've got to do, it's this much. It's, it's, it's about a mentality. It's about a mindset. It's about a lifestyle of pursuing excellence. And I, and here's the thing. I've had a lot of trials in my life too. I mean, maybe <laughs> that's a conversation for another time. I mean, I've had seven surgeries. Um, uh, you know, been married 26 years. So of course, if you've been married 26 years, you're going to have some high points in your marriage. You're going to have some low points in your marriage. Uh, we've been in some dark places. I've got seven combat tours to Afghanistan and Iraq and, and Egypt. Uh, we've got three kids. I mean, trust me, we've gone through, and I'll tell you what, I did this much during those trials and circumstances, no difference than I do this much today. And for maybe anyone who's listening who might be going through, a, you know, some of those trials right now, Anthony, it, you know, it, it's hard to just put one thing out there. But you know, is there one one thing that comes to mind when you need to sort of tap into your inner self and, and find that balance point and just sort of recalibrate where you're at? Um, do you have one technique that you could share with our listeners that's worked really well for you over the years? Yes, it's very easy. I remember whose I am, and I remember who I am. And I think in today's, today's world where religion gets a bad rap and spirituality and faith can be described in a myriad of ways, the place that recenters me is I remember whose I am. I was created in the image of God and God has placed a clear calling on my life to influence leaders of influence as an influential leader. And I remember who I am. So for me, regardless of the highs and lows of life, I've, I've always remembered whose I am and who I am. And I think that's where we have a lot of identity issues is, I heard it once this way, everybody believes in God. This is not my saying, this is a friend of mine in Chuck's. Everyone believes in God. And people will look at me, I, I, mean, I say this in a public workplace, and everybody looks at me like, what? And I'm like, you either believe in God or you believe you are God. And it's just that some of us have come to a place in our life where we've reflected on the fact that, boy, I hope that God isn't like me. Twenty-four <laughs> seven. Yeah. You don't want to follow, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to follow that. Right. And so, and so for me, I think one of the greatest places of peace and strength has come from that. And I think if you look at people that have endured great things in life um, and struggle with great things in life, they have, they've been rooted in some sort of objective truth in their faith or philosophy. And that requires contemplation. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, this is, uh, I feel like we could probably talk all day. Um, however, um, I think we're going to have to carve this episode off here and, and hopefully we can, we can pick it up at some point here in the future, but a couple final questions. So I guess, I guess one, Anthony, for, for anyone who's been inspired by what you've had to say today, wants to learn more about Vanguard 21 or, you know, any of the, anything else about sort of your story, where, where would you direct them to? 
I appreciate that. Yeah, just www.vanguardxxi.com. And uh, that's our website. Uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn. We've got a LinkedIn page and then also my personal LinkedIn page. Uh, just, you know, I'm one of the many Anthony Randalls on LinkedIn. Just find the one that looks like me. <laughs> Very, uh, it's, you, you post a lot of really inspiring stuff. So highly recommend. And we'll tag uh, you so people will find you a little bit. Easier. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you can also order our book, uh, Practice Makes Permanent off of Amazon and then have another book coming out hopefully this year called Practicing Excellence. And what that is, is it's, it's the entire leadership development and coaching model that we use here at Vanguard. We're talking about practice. Uh, ain't talking about a game. Talking about practice. <laughs> talking about practice. <laughs> I love, I, hey man, I'm a big fan of practice. The, the, the process is the thing, as I like to say. Uh, so heading into the last question here. So this, this, this final question sponsored by bonus Soapworks, our newest, uh, our newest sponsor, Malbacito, uh, was an amazing guest in season five and big supporter of the show. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Calgary's famous adventure soap company, uh, they're building community and inspiring adventure. One bar of soap at a time. Uh, you can join soap club. The first rule of soap club is to tell everyone about soap club. Um, and, uh, uh, they, you get a handmade piece of soap shipped to your door every quarter and enjoy a bunch of membership perks, including uh, collaboration with dozens of businesses uh, in the area. Uh, but the last question, Anthony, we've been asking everybody this season is, uh, what is your favorite song? Ooh, what's my favorite song? So my favorite song, I think, was picked by my my wife and kids. So I was doing a keynote about a year and a half ago, and the guy's like, what's your walk-up song? I'm like, man, I don't have a walk-up song. I don't need a walk-up song. And and, and this guy's a, he's a phenomenal leader. He's a great guy. And he's like, if you don't pick a walk-up song, he's like, you're coming up to something like, you know, New Kids on the Block or the Backstreet Boys or something. I'm like, all right, all right, I'll get a walk-up song. So uh, so I think one of my favorite songs, and, and this is because my kids have said, Dad, this is you, is uh, I Love Burning Man by Dirk Bentley. Love that. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. So um, I'm a little bit steady. I'm still a little bit of a Rolling Stone. Yeah, I love that. I love that song. I think I think uh, that describes me quite well, Burning Man. Perfect. Well, uh, JP will be adding that to the playlist, which is available on Spotify, the season six uh, guest picks. So uh, there'll be a link for that in the episode. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, Anthony. This was great and uh, really appreciate you making the time for us. Hey, absolutely. Thank you, guys. That is uh, This is an honor to be here. And I think what you guys are doing is awesome. Again, congratulations on your, uh, your newest award. Yeah, thank you. And uh, you know, I, I know you said off the top that West Point gave you a certain a, a, cer- a certain moniker on your way out, but we will we, have the hope, Lordy, he comes backy, because uh, I think you've got a lot more stories that you could share with us. So that uh, uh, hopefully we can have you back soon to uh, to share some of those. Be honored to do it. And if I'm up in uh, Calgary, we'll have to get in studio. Love it. Absolutely, that'd be awesome. All right, guys, thank you. Mm-hmm.